This is Outside Shots, a college basketball betting podcast with Eli Hershkovich. Seven seconds to go. Three-pointer. Covering game-by-game odds and futures markets. It's Outside Shots, presented by the Lions. Another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. My name is Eli Herskovich. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. And before we get started, before I introduce my guest to my right, I guess, virtually, you can follow The Lines on Twitter, like I mentioned, at The Lines US. Give the video a thumbs up, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notifications whenever a new episode on any sports betting market, including college basketball, is up on The Lines YouTube page. TheLines.com has also given away a $25 Amazon gift card in our daily college troops pick'em contest. For more details, head over to play.thelines.com. And last but not least, as always, join the Lines Discord channel to get notifications when we place bets on any sports betting market, like I mentioned, including college, basketball, and if you're listening to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, whatever it may be, please give us a five-star review. It really helps us boost the podcast. But without further ado, time to introduce my guest today. And he's he's doing this from an airport in San Francisco. Rocco Miller. You can follow him on Twitter at Rocco Miller 8. College basketball bracketologist for the Bracketeer and a contributor to Fielding the 68 as well field of 68 network what's going on today Rocco thanks for joining me hey Eli I'm doing great man it's just you know two days until March but it really feels like March uh as we record this on the 27th of February uh you know it's a it's a week where uh in a day here on Monday where we will start the first conference tournament in the Atlantic Sun and uh segue uh, I am on my way to a sun territory to be at Kennesaw State uh for their first home game uh, tomorrow night and the entire tournament, as you know, uh, are all on campus sites. So Owls fans are hoping it's the first of three uh, in Kennesaw. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a heck of a story. A team that was buried in the 300s in their pretty much entire D1 history. And Coach Abdul Rahim has now taken them uh, to the number one seed. Uh, much to many surprise over over Liberty winning that tiebreaker and beating them head-to-head in their only meeting. So really excited to get down there and cover that program for the quarterfinal round. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. I'm just trying to get my bearings together as we almost hit March, like you said. And we were going back and forth before we started the podcast. And I found it funny because you said your birthday and your wife's birthday both fall in March. I can't imagine having my birthday, let alone my girlfriend's birthday, during March Madness or on Selection Sunday. So I don't know how the heck you're dealing with this week, conference tournament week, next week, conference tournament week, and then March Madness, man. Good luck to you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. It's, you know, it's an annual, you know, uh, I, trying to mold it like clay to get it right. <laughs> um, you know, last last year we had more landmark birthdays, so we, we actually went to Vegas for – the first half of the month and you know that sounds insane i get that uh but we only did a couple nights on the strip and we spent the rest of the time at an airbnb um it actually was great for championship week for me because i uh, as you know am, am pretty locked in on everything going on na- nationally and it was a nice quiet uh, you know anything off the strip in vegas isn't too bad because you get a pool and some sun and you know a couple of tvs and a bunch of basketball it's not bad and then we were able to kind of do our own thing low-key um, so, you know, I, I don't think it was perfect, but it kind of checked a few boxes. We got to do some nice dinners and, uh, now this year we'll see how it plays out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always, it's always a little different. We're trying to figure it out to get it just right. But, uh, yeah, one year we, we did have her birthday fall on, uh, selection Sunday. So we had to cram a lot into the Saturday. Um, and I, and I do feel bad about that. It's, uh, it's, you know, but when there's only one day a year that defines my work, it, it's really tough. <laughs> yeah, no so, no question, man. Yeah. And Rocco's a great follow. Like he said, he's covering college basketball. He's traveling all over the country and also posting a ton of bracket updates. Remember to head over to thebracketeer.org and follow him on Twitter at Rocco Miller, a truly one of the best follows 
in college basketball. But Rocco, before we get started here previewing four conference tournaments and looking at the odds that go along with them, I know you're not a better per se, but your analysis basketball-wise is fantastic. So really pumped to have you on the pod to break some of these conferences down. But first and foremost, want to get to your biggest takeaway from the weekend that was in college basketball before some of these mid-major conference tournaments tip off. And I'll give mine, and then we'll get started previewing the four conference tournaments, Horizon League and WCC, very close to you in San Francisco, Missouri Valley Conference, otherwise known as Arch Madness and the SOCOM. But like I mentioned, your biggest, I guess, highlight from the college basketball weekend that included a ton of buzzer beaters. Right. Yeah. I mean, the very first thing that comes to mind is the three-quarter court shot by Arizona State that dramatically changed a lot of things. Um, And I don't know if the common college basketball fan understands that. Uh, But what that that shot meant was obviously an Arizona State road win at Arizona uh, at the time. Uh, Arizona was number six on the overall bracketology board. Um, so that is the sixth best road win money can buy for a bubble team. Um, and, the, you know, Arizona State was a team coming into the weekend uh, pretty clearly on the outside looking in, but it has done some nice things here and there throughout the year. They have a Creighton win. Um, they've done some good work away from home in general, and they really just need an elite win to get back in the mix. And here we are right back in the mix. Uh, furthermore, um, they have a ridiculous final stretch where now this next weekend they'll be at both UCLA and at USC. If they pick up one of those two, um, you're almost kind of thinking that they're probably going to find a way in. Um, and that's dramatic for a team that was, you know, if he was guarded a little bit closer or, you know, if a lot of different things happen, they, they lose that game. They're, we're not even talking about them at all. Um, and then the last layer to that, like I said, this is a multi-layer burrito here, Eli, uh, is Bobby Hurley um, has not signed a coaching ex- extension to stay at Arizona State. So there's swirling rumors on, you know, if, if they do get to the tournament, he probably gets an extension and stays. Um, but I'm sure his agent is now talking to or has been talking to other athletic departments about a potential parachute move that we've seen become popular in recent years with Mike White going from Georgia or sorry, to Georgia from Florida. Uh, Shaka Smart, of course, parachuting from Texas to Marquette. This is becoming a much more common thing in the business. Hurley's a prime candidate for that. And that shot just might have drastically changed his life. We'll see how that plays out. Um, but that, to me, is there's nothing really bigger than that. Um, outside of that, my bigger takeaways uh, after really diving into bracketology this morning were the amount of teams that lost between the four and six line uh, projected. You know, beginning with Virginia, just getting, uh, you know, blown out again. They, they had a really horrible week losing badly to Boston College and North Carolina. Um, they haven't performed well. Their numbers are really dropping fast. And, I'm, I, I mean, the, the, the hard part for me is the committee had them uh, on the bracket preview show, the 10th best team. And they typically like to keep those teams pretty close to where they had them by the time we get to Selection Sunday. But it's really hard to argue that Virginia belongs up there anymore. And, you know, a team like San Diego State, who won on on their own buzzer beater at New Mexico, um, is really kind of benefiting now because teams like Iowa State, Miami took a rough loss on another buzzer beater. Um, You know, Creighton fell pretty convincingly to a non-tournament team. So this opportunity for San Diego State to really sky skyrocket emerged um, and so I'm having a difficult time you know placing those on, on how I think the committee would do it but it, it's really opened up a lot of doors here in that middle part of the bracket yeah and West Virginia which is on the bubble probably still and has a good opportunities we're recording this today on Monday nearly upset Kansas on the road despite shooting uh, pretty poorly from behind the arc but my biggest takeaway I know you mentioned Virginia really quick too and you also mentioned off the strip, not necessarily sports books, but Circus Sports is off the strip. And pretty much during Virginia's run atop the ACC during the regular season, I know they're not there right now, but between 40, 50 to one. So it, you know, for a, from a betting standpoint and also people just watching this that are casual college basketball fans, it shows you why the sports betting market and monitoring the sports betting market is important because you look at a team like Virginia that, yes, was playing really good basketball, but the betting market didn't think was deserving of, let's say, the top 10, 15 shortest odds among national title contenders. But my biggest takeaway from the weekend, Indiana going on the road to Purdue at Mackey with the Boilermakers having a shot to win 
the Big Ten title, regular season title, that is outright. Jalen hood Shafino putting up 30-plus points, dominating Purdue's ball screen coverage. And I posted a video on this earlier today on Twitter. Zach Eady and how Matt Painter tried to design Purdue's defense in that game because Edie's played drop coverage and Painter's done this with all of his bigs pretty much during his tenure at Purdue because he has a Zach Edie like big, not necessarily a seven foot four big, but a dominant big like that pretty much every season. And he dropped Edie back even deeper to account for the Trace Jackson Davis lobs that they got picked apart by in their first matchup at Assembly Hall when Jackson Davis had a monster game. Jackson Davis barely did anything, but Huchifino's recognition and Mike Woodson's recognition to take advantage of that soft drop coverage, and that's why Huchifino had a huge game. It doesn't hurt when your mid-range game is pretty much seamless and you're hitting all of those jumpers. That's kind of variance, and then you tack on that Purdue missed a ton of open threes, but I was super impressed with Indiana for a team that didn't look you know, among the national title contenders after the way they performed on Tuesday at Michigan State. But I think that spoke more towards Trace Jackson Davis's usage and him getting more down because we saw what Indiana could be and they don't even have Xavier Johnson back yet. So Rocco, I'm curious where you have Indiana right now in your bracketology. Well, Indiana is a team that the committee was super high on uh, compared to the majority of us, including myself. I didn't think they belonged in that top 16 preview at the time of uh, the show, uh, but clearly the committee did, and uh, that that was one of the clues that I had that they're really high on road wins and uh, maybe even higher than neutral wins because to put them above UConn at that time was pretty telling uh, for, for a quick example. Uh, but now, um, I, I think right now it's Marquette, Indiana, and Gonzaga uh, for, the, for two of the last, uh, for the last two three seed spots. And the third in that mix, whoever you want to take, would still be on the four seed line. But they're right there. Um, they, the committee had them as the best four seed then. So since then, Indiana's had that big win at Purdue. They've beaten Illinois, uh, of course, at home on that Illinois win. And then they got beat pretty good on the Michigan State game where it was an emotional night for the Spartans uh, following the shooting. So um, I think... I think Indiana's either right where they were or they're maybe a little bit higher because both Marquette and Gonzaga have also played well during the same stretch. Uh, but in general, I'm really curious, you know, how it works with Xavier Johnson, as you mentioned, because sometimes when guys come back from injury, um, maybe ultimately they do get better, but sometimes those first couple games back, it kind of throws off the, the rhythm and, and good things they had going without him. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then another thing is, is Indiana's like a team where, uh, they're capable of sweeping a team like Purdue. They match up really well with them, uh, but they also got swept by Northwestern. So for futures conversation, you know, you could see a ton of variety of outcomes for Indiana, including maybe even a first round exit. Yeah, you mentioned that on the last podcast we did, Rocco, and I'm going to quickly slide past your Indiana hate here. I'm just kidding. But if you do want to... No, I love Indiana. We're good. We're good. We're all we're all good. If they're... You no, know, Rocco, again, I, I mentioned this earlier but I know you're not a batter. And if I, let's say I throw some odds at you here really quick, because I would be interested in your opinion. Circus Sports, one of the books off the strip in Vegas has Indiana priced at 40 to one, best price in the market by far. And you could check out all the national title odds across various legal books around the country over at thelines.com. But Houston, the favorite pretty much all season, or at least in the latter part of non-con into conference play, plus 600 over at Circus Sports, then Bama dealing with the Brandon Miller situation, plus 950. Kansas, 10 to 1. UConn, you mentioned them too. They're playing really well of late 15 to 1. I have a breakdown over at thelines.com if anyone wants to check that out on a money line rollover strategy, potentially just because of how UConn's early season success is baked into the market at this point. But you know, we hit on some other teams in our recent podcast that we did together. TCU 22 to one over at Circa. Actually, as I speak, Indiana down to 32 to one. So they just moved from 40 to one down to 32 to one while we're recording this episode, which is pretty awesome. And I think Rocco Miller haters out there just bet Indiana to win the title. But Rocco, any any of those teams stand out or any team that that I didn't mention kind of tickle your fancy to have a shot to win the national championship that may be a three, four, five, six seed? 
Yeah, well, first of all, hopefully there's no haters out there. Um, I got nothing but love for for all 363 and all 32 conferences. <laughs> That's how I roll. But uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think those are uh, very interesting things because I don't really f- concentrate on that. I, I would say, just as a general rule of, th- of thumb, I'll probably say this every single year: uh, if if your team doesn't have, if the team you're looking at doesn't have a bona fide pro, like you can't look at him and say he's a pro, uh, they're probably not winning the title. So that's a good place to start. And there's a couple teams like Gonzaga, for example. Like I, I think maybe Timmy, of course, will have a, probably a cup of tea in the in the NBA. I'm not sold on the rest of their roster. You know, having a long NBA career, totally could be wrong about that. But it's not as clear cut as the last Gonzaga teams. So that's an example of one that maybe to avoid. Um, but like, yeah, I, I think you look in that range and you see like what UConn's ceiling is based on what they did in the early part of the year, and now they've started to blow out. You know, they just recently blew out Providence. Perhaps UConn, you could. I have no idea where these things are priced, but uh, that's a team to maybe keep your eye on. I've always, I've always said Miami, and maybe Miami's getting even nicer because they just lost to Florida State a little bit unnecessarily. Um, it didn't really deter me from my feelings on them because that's a rivalry game with Florida State where they basically played like it was their national championship and won on a crazy uh, buzzer beater. Um, so, yeah, I still got my eye on Miami. I love that TCU call. And I would say, you know, I, I've said Creighton most of the year, but some of the recent performances kind of start to, they're starting to feel like the old Creighton that doesn't really do a lot in the tournament. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. And one of the teams that you mentioned, and we've gone back and forth on them, UConn, I've heard a lot over the last week, just in terms of their last two NCAA tournament performances, the first round exit to Maryland, followed by the first round exit to New Mexico State. But you go back to the Maryland game, RJ Cole wasn't healthy. He was dealing with a concussion or post-concussion symptoms following the Big East tournament. And then last year, that game was tied. I, I was super impressed, honestly, because I thought, I don't know how much that had to do with Dan Hurley versus the team just kind of came out flat. And I guess that's more so a reflection of your coach. But also, sometimes when you face a mid-major team like that, that has a, not a pro, but uh, an elite college score like Teddy Allen, or at least from the mid-major ranks, that can dominate you like that or gets hot. There's nothing you could do. That's why variance exists, not only in the non-sports betting world, but especially in the sports betting world where you get upsets like that. But yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I would say in the, in this modern net era, we've only had a couple tournaments, right? Uh, since 2019, we obviously got robbed in 2020, sadly, but um, you know we've had a couple now. I, I've, I've said this a few times recently where I think the 5-12 and even the 4-13 games in a lot of cases will be better games uh, than the uh, seven ten, the traditional 7-10 and 8-9s uh, because I think in the net era, you're seeing a lot more power conference teams fill up the 8-9 and 7-10 lines, and you're getting one team that kind of runs away with those games and the other team just being like, well, okay, we're happy we made the tournament. We're a power conference team. You know, we've seen Marquette get destroyed in that situation we've seen oklahoma get destroyed in that situation we see wisconsin get destroyed in that situation if you're playing a 4 13 or a 5 12 you're playing a darn good team with huge aspirations um that is a conference champion that's won the majority of their games most of them have won over 25 games and it's a whole different can of worms and that's exactly what uconn had to face whereas if they had a little bit better seed uh maybe like a three seed or higher uh, they're not in that situation. So I, I think that's just a dynamic in general for everybody to keep in mind is that these these 5-12 and 4-13 games are going to be much, uh, I, I think, as a weighted whole, better games than 8-9 or 7-10. No, it's a really good point. And Rocco knows mid-major hoops like nobody's business. So really pumped to have him on to break down these four conference tournaments without further ado because I think we've been pretty much teasing at the entire podcast so far and doing some weekend breakdowns and that kind of stuff, title features as well. But really good stuff so far on the podcast. Remember to subscribe to Outside Shots on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. So look in, Rocco, first and foremost, the Horizon League and looking at the latest odds per FanDuel. I'm going to have a write-up on this conference tournament, which gets started on Tuesday. We're recording this podcast on Monday. Youngstown State, the Favorite to win the Horizon League tournament at plus 150. Cleveland State right after that, plus 430. Northern Kentucky, plus 470, followed by Wright State at plus 650. Milwaukee, Robert Morris, Detroit, Mercy. I want to get to Detroit after you go here in a sec. But Oakland, 
plus 2,500, Detroit around the same price, then Purdue, Fort Wayne, IUPUI, and Green Bay. So, Rocco, big picture here. What do you make of the Horizon League and maybe a long shot or or do you think one of the favorites ends up taking this conference tournament? Yeah, this is a this is a fun one. It always is. And, I, you know, I think you got to start with uh, the fact that this tournament reseeds each round and they'll play all the way through the quarterfinals on campus. It's a huge distinction between, you know, uh, each conference tournament. And so uh, as we preview each, I'll try to make a comment about that. But once they get to the last four teams, we go to Indianapolis in more of a neutral setting. And that'll be interesting because, you know, some of the favored teams are from the state of Ohio, um, not as directly, um, sorry about that, uh, not as directly, you know, close to Indy as, as some of the others. So uh, that'll be that'll be fascinating to see, like, what kind of fan support they get. A lot of that can make a big difference. Um, but, at, you know, Youngstown State, you have to start there. They're the uh, elite offensive team, and they've really started to maybe pick it up a little bit better on defense. They've had a really tough defensive year uh, most of the year. Uh, but in most of these types of deals, you know, you got to have a good offense to carry you through each round. And I think, you know, Youngstown's in a situation where they'll get the winner of Detroit Mercy and uh, Purdue Fort Wayne in the quarters. And Antoine Davis, you know, a huge story coming in, trying to continue working towards that Pistol Pete record. They'll have to keep winning for him to, to get there. Um, and, and Detroit Mercy has that first game at home. I do think that's who Youngstown ultimately plays. Uh, and I do think, you know, Youngstown probably a little too strong for them, but that should be a really fun quarterfinal. Um, you know, in this league tournament, the quarterfinals, uh, was it last uh, 2021 here was just absolutely insane three of the games went to overtime the number one seed Cleveland State had to go to triple overtime before ultimately winning the whole tournament um, and that quarterfinal round is wild um, and I think that's coming up Thursday night so just tune in for that um, the four teams that I think that will get to Indy I'm going with Youngstown State uh, for reasons I explained Northern Kentucky is a team I'm going with in the next part of the bracket uh, I think they'll end up uh, pretty pretty clearly playing Oakland in that round. Uh, well, they're, they're already lined up with Oakland, I, excuse me. But I give the Norse the nod there, even though it's been um, a series where the road team won at each team's place. So this game being at NKU, Oakland probably being confident coming in. I just think what Northern Kentucky continues to do, they had to finish four uh, straight on the road to end the regular season. They get three of those four done. Uh, and pretty tough games they had to w- go win. Um, and I think they're feeling really good coming into this tournament. I think it's just enough to get them over over the hump. But Campy's team is always tough. Um, and then the next team I have going to Indies, Cleveland State. You know, Cleveland State will have to likely take on a Robert Morris team who's hot and cold, hot and cold. Um, Robert Morris had an incredible week two weeks ago, knocking off two of the best teams in the league. They turn around and lose to IUPUI. Um, and now RMU's got to beat our IUPUI here just to get to Cleveland State. Um, but the last time the, the Colonials and the Vikings met up, Eli, uh, it was a 57-55 rock fight in Cleveland. Uh, both teams, um, you know, only made four three-pointers in that game each. So that, that's a game coming up most likely on Thursday, assuming Robert Morris gets past IUPUI. Um, that could be a real low-scoring game and a, and a real grinder. Um, but I like the character of this Cleveland State team. It's a team that I saw in person last year. Spider Johnson's one of my favorite players. He exudes toughness, uh, so a slim nod to the Vikings. And then the last team in India, this is my surprise, the one you've been waiting for. Um, I thought it was a surprise, but the way you read the odds, it sounds like this is what everybody's expecting. Is I, I do expect Wright State to not only have a cakewalk with Green Bay, the much weaker team between uh, Green Bay and IUPUI in that first game, but also uh, be able to go into Milwaukee and get the job done. Um, and I, th- I think, you know, it's interesting to see a seven seed play a two seed, but actually the seven seed swept them uh, during the season. And, you know, Wright State is actually, if you look at the, the data um, over the last five weeks, they're playing the best ball in the whole league. Um, and so, you know, some of that doesn't show up in their record, but on a possession by possession basis, um, it is showing up. And I think the coaching pedigree of Scott Nagy, you can never count him out in an event like this. And I think they're kind of due. Um, so I think Wright State gets to Indy. Uh, apologies to Milwaukee, but first-year coach Bart Lundy still a successful year. Um, then in the championship game, I do have Youngstown taking on Wright State. I like the Youngstown um, the NKU battle. I think it will be a battle. Penguins just a little too much offense. I think it's going to carry them through. It will behoove them to build a big lead early in that potential matchup. On the, on the Wright State side, 
Um, I, I think even though they got swept by Cleveland State during the year, I, I think that just plays into the revenge factor. And I think the Nagy factor really gives them an edge against, you know, first-year head coach for Cleveland State. So um, Youngstown Wright State, to me, uh, last time they played, they went triple overtime. So that could be a wild one. It could be a wild championship game. Um, I think the, the major upside from a betting standpoint is obviously Wright State. Um, but, I, you know, Youngstown's the favorite. I can easily see them winning it as well. And that's, that's how I see it playing out. No, that's, man, everything was fantastic there. Trey Calvin, one of the better mid-major scores and prolific scores, not only, again, in the mid-major ranks, but across college basketball. So Rocco mentioned Wright State plus 650. And if you kind of look at the way this defense is structured and not only are they playing really good basketball of late like Rocco mentioned but defensively even though they're about in the middle of the pack in terms of the conference in Horizon League play they force opposing offenses to play in isolation because you look at opponents assist rate and they're allowing the lowest assist rate in conference play. So like you mentioned, from a schematic standpoint, from a coaching standpoint with Nagy, he definitely structures his defenses really well, especially in a tournament setting and being difficult to prepare for. I'm not necessarily, I don't think I'm going to have a bet in this conference tournament futures market, to be honest, but Detroit to me is worth a look just because of the way Davis can take over a game. And we saw it last year. I forget who they played maybe in the, the second round, I think I bet them plus three and a half. They got blitzed in that game because Davis was getting doubled essentially on ball screens and had a horrific shooting night. But I mean, it's hot and cold with that guy. If he goes off, Detroit has a shot to go deep in the conference tournament. So I, it was worth a look for me. But then when you start digging, even though the number is intriguing at plus 2,400, plus 2,500, so 24, 25 to one, I'm okay. But I do like your right stake call. It's an Interesting pick, especially with another prolific scorer like Trey Calvin. We saw him in non-conference play when Louisville was being priced into the market way too aggressively, and he had a huge game at Louisville. When I yeah, they upset them within the first two or three games of the season. So I I like it, and maybe you should place a wager when you get to one of these legal betting states on on right state manner. I'll, I'll let you stay away from that if you want to as well. Yeah, it's, it, it's really not my thing until we get to March Madness, then maybe, maybe a couple bucks here or there on the tourney. But, but uh, yeah, I, I got to stay in my lane. But the, the thing I would say there is, you know, um, all these tournaments are about matchups, you know, and that's the that's why I go into the nuts and bolts about how they're going to get there. And Wright State just has a really great draw. I mean, Green, Green Bay is pretty much done. They're looking for a coach that, you know, players are, they, they've been just getting killed. It's not even going to be a sweat for them, in my opinion. And then they're going to go to Milwaukee, which is the most, even though they're the number two seed, that's the best place they could have gone. Um, so if they go up there and get that done, like I expect them to, um, that gets them to Indy. They're rested. Now they're on a neutral court. They don't have to play at, at campus sites anymore. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful draw for Wright State, and that's half the battle uh, in all these brackets. Let's move on. So we hit on the Horizon League tournament. We'll now shift our attention to the WCC, which again is in Rocco's uh, area on the West Coast. So looking at the odds here, latest odds per DraftKings. This conference tournament tips off on Thursday. And again, we'll have full conference tournament preview breakdowns written over at thelines.com. So be sure to check those out. But St. Mary's Gonzaga open minus 110 each so co-favorites to win the conference tournament tournament but Gonzaga took some early money and they're now again not a huge differential but minus 115 so 10 cents higher than St. Mary's which the Gales are priced at minus 105 Santa Clara BYU both at 50 to 1 I want to hit on a thought there after Rocco goes San Francisco 100 to 1 LMU which upset St. Mary's two three weeks ago 101 as well, then Portland, Pepperdine, San Diego, and Pacific obviously round it out as, at much higher odds. So anything worth a dart there for you, Rocco? Because when I'm digging into St. Mary's a little bit of late, defensively they've been a little bit more vulnerable. And then you mentioned it when we were talking about college basketball futures. Gonzaga doesn't necessarily have that pro like we've seen in years past, like Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren, but also defensively, especially around the rim, they're very susceptible without that Holmgren-like presence with blocking shots. Yeah, uh, fair points. And I'm more concerned, with, on, for Gonzaga's sake, on the national level when they get to the NCAA tournament for that reason, depending on who they match up with. I think here in the West Coast Conference, 
um, probably the most surefire pro place for Santa Clara in, in uh, uh, pods. So with pods, you know, he's just so dynamic. He just won his fourth player of the week award, which is a new Santa Clara record. Um, and, you know, a guy named Steve Nash played there, so that's a pretty big deal. Um, and I think, you know, Santa Clara's got a nice setup to be the number – they're the clear third-best team this year. Um, the problem for them is they didn't get over the hump in any of their four tries against St. Mary's or, or Gonzaga. So um, Santa Clara's got to mentally get over that hump, and I, you know, I, I beg to – to predict that they're going to be able to do that on back-to-back nights on a Monday and a Tuesday in the semis and the finals. Uh, but if there is a dart throw, it's them because they do have a pro. They have a great offense. You know, they had a huge lead on Gonzaga early. They let it slip. Last year, uh, they beat St. Mary's at home in a big nationally televised game. Uh, so a lot of those guys are still there, minus pods. Um, so so the Santa Clara's got the – if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be them. Um, you know, the other side is LMU, who has actually beat both teams. Um, I just, I, you know, I think LMU could easily lose to BYU in that 4-5 game before they get to Gonzaga. Uh, in fact, that's what I would predict. I think BYU's playing a little bit better basketball now, and uh, BYU's playing better defense, and I love great defense when it comes to March. So that's a, that's a big deal. Um, and, and so, you know, I think we do end up with that Gonzaga-St. Mary's championship game. Um, ultimately, you know, I think fans need to realize, if they don't already, uh, this ladder bracket format, pretty much makes it impossible for uh, the 7 through 10 seeds to make any kind of run. Um, and then BYU being 5, San Francisco being 6, in a really, really tough spot uh, to make a run as well. So um, you really zero in on those last couple teams with this format. Uh, and in round 3, you know, I, I, I will take Gonzaga just because, you know, if you watch both the matchups, Gonzaga pretty much had both those games won, you know, pretty convincingly the other night in the kennel. And then in the first matchup, they had an eight-point lead with about two minutes to go on the road. Uh, end up, you know, uh, giving up a, a big rally there to St. Mary's and losing in overtime. Um, but Gonzaga's looked a little stronger in the head-to-head. I also, you know, even though I love St. Mary's, they're in my backyard, friend of the program for sure. Um, you know, they're, they're a little bit vulnerable in these closer games. You saw them lose to Washington in overtime. They lost at home to Colorado State. Uh, New Mexico took it to them at home. You know, they've been able to blow out a lot of teams, and that's really helped their numbers. Uh, but I think in close games, there's a lot to be figured out with this team. And um, so nod to Gonzaga from my standpoint. Yeah, and we were DMing about this a little bit over the weekend, how Mark Few kind of threw a, a wrinkle at St. Mary's and Randy Bennett running out that one-two-two full court, you know, three-quarter court press and not allowing St. Mary's to get into that patented ball screen offense, which Bennett adores over the last decade plus and beyond that. So, and St. Mary's offense, granted, they made a little bit of a second half push, but they weren't nearly as efficient as we saw down the stretch in the second half of that first matchup where Ada Mahaney took over with that ball screen offense, dominated Gonzaga around the rim. And that's especially notable because of what I mentioned earlier. Gonzaga doesn't have that rim protection, which really allowed Mahaney to get to the uh, the basket. But a team that, you know, you kind of, you mentioned Santa Clara and they're priced at 50 to one. I'm curious what you think of the other team. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit. And especially when you were talking about matchups with the Horizon League, because BYU is priced at 50 to one to win the WCC tournament and they wouldn't play Gonzaga because I agree with you. I do think between the two teams, Gonzaga is playing better basketball of late between them and St. Mary's. So BYU wouldn't face Gonzaga until a potential title game matchup. They would get St. Mary's in the semifinals and they played two very close games against them already this season. BYU has the second rated adjusted defensive efficiency in conference play, so that's also notable. And then you don't necessarily have a pro, but a really good collegiate player in Rudy Williams. So any shot you would consider BYU, the Cougs, to make it a run, and a, and a tournament-proven coach, too, in Mark Pope? Yeah, I give them a little bit of a chance. I, I mean, both those matchups were really good matchups. BYU just couldn't make the the, the key plays down the stretch. They got Mahaneyed, uh in the game in Moraga. Uh, it's a verb that's come to life here in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, his, his clutch shot making when the Gales really need him, especially in those home games that they've been able to pull out, like the Gonzaga one. Um, 
And so, you know, they've been right there. And BYU is just a team that's built for the future. They're, they got some awesome uh, freshman talent. And, you know, Rudy's a, a vet that helps carry them. Um, I, just, I just don't think, you know, I, I think it's possible to get past St. Mary's. So I'm with you on that. Um, but I do think, you know, they're going to be in a situation where um, coming right after a big, emotional, tough, hard-fought St. Mary's game, they're just going to – St. Mary's is just going to do Gonzaga a favor. You're going to have a worn-down BYU team – uh, that Gonzaga will eat alive uh, in the title game. No, it's it's a good point for sure. If it were to get to that point, just from a betting sense, let's say you have that 50-1 to 1 ticket with BYU in the title game, you can't necessarily hedge off because Gonzaga is going to be, like you mentioned, a massive money line favorite pregame. But let's say somehow BYU starts out hot, Maybe Gonzaga's priced around minus 130, minus 150 live in-game. And granted, you also can't necessarily get as much down in-game as you can pre-game for any sort of a bet, depending on the sports book, that is. Then you can maybe start to hedge off on your BYU futures ticket. Because I agree with you. From an emotional standpoint, from a from a tired leg standpoint, if you somehow beat that, well, I guess you're not going to be playing up and down against St. Mary's. But from a pace standpoint, if you somehow win that grind-out game against the Gales, very tough to turn around the next night because you don't have a day off in between that matchup and a potential BYU-Gonzaga title game. So good breakdown from Rocco there, as always, on the WCC, very close to home, very tight with the St. Mary's program, like he mentioned too. So hopefully Randy Bennett isn't pissed off as we're talking about some potential upsets here down the road. But looking at the Missouri Valley Conference, Rocco, no odds out for this conference tournament just yet. But if you look at how the, and by the way, I've said this a lot, but you should follow Rocco on Twitter at RoccoMiller8 because he is the full tournament breakdown in terms of the seeding, tweeting it out consistently throughout the weekend and as the days move along here heading into the high major conference tournaments but Bradley earning the number one overall seed in the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament or otherwise known as Arch Madness then you have Drake Southern Illinois Belmont rounding out the top four I'm intrigued by the number three seed SIU but I want to hear your take on any potential dart throws I know we don't have odds or if you like one of the favorites yeah, I mean, I did I did a breakdown like I do on all the tournaments, and I think, um, you know, if you want to get really crazy, uh, the team to really pay attention to is Valparaiso at number 10 seed, uh, mainly because they've been playing super well and just not getting over the hump. Uh, just lost again in overtime on the last day to Murray State, uh, but playing really, really tough. Ben Cricky arguably has been, um, you know, maybe you can't put him above Tucker DeVries or um, – but he might be the second best player in the league right now. Uh, ben Shepard's an excellent player at Belmont, but there, and there's a bunch of other names you could throw out there. But um, I, I just think Valpo's being slept on. I think even though they're losing close, uh, they're now entering an event with nothing to lose, and they get to play Murray State right away again and avenge that loss. I think they'll do that. Um, not not that impressed with Murray State unless they're at home. Um, and, you know, Murray State, for their argument, um, they do have an amazing fan base. So they could pack St. Louis. Maybe that's enough to, ki- to carry them late. Um, but, Val- you know, just for a super long shot, Valpo's the team, I would say. Um, and then I think I think when we get down to the last four teams, Eli, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, – Bradley will find a way there, in my opinion. Um, I actually think Illinois State uh, knocks off Northern Iowa in the opener. And then just too much firepower there for Bradley – um, to, to lose to Illinois State. So Bradley gets there, and then I have them taking on, um, uh, excuse me, uh, Indiana State, the Sycamores, the team that started 6-0. and Then they were 6-6 six and six in the league. Now they're back to uh, playing a little, uh, quite a bit better, actually. Um, a, a tough close to the season with a loss to Missouri State at home on senior day. A little surprising. Uh, but the thing that the Sycamores do, and I saw them in person um, against Drake, is uh, they come at you in waves, and that's Josh Schertz's goal. Um, so they're built for an event like this. They're built to win every day. You know, they could go, uh, they could go with a different starting five every single game. They could give certain guys 30 minutes a game, and then the next night give them 20 based on the matchup. They're built to be versatile uh, matchup-wise. Um, so they're they're probably the most dangerous team because of that. Um, now again, their play has been inconsistent to the point where. Uh, you know, it's hard to trust them. 
Uh, but you've seen them string six wins in a row together. You can see them stringing three wins in a row together here in Arch Madness. Um, so I do think they beat Belmont in Belmont's first go around here in Arch Madness. Uh, and then Drake, uh, I do have getting there as well. Uh, and, and ultimately knocking off that Valpo team. But Valpo gave Drake so many fits in both games this year. And Valpo is actually playing better now. Uh, and that's why I say take a serious look at Valpo. Um, and then I'm with you on SIU at least getting to the semifinal round. Um, I like their matchup a lot against Missouri State, assuming that's who they play. Uh, they, they have really no concerns there of them getting through that game. Um, so that gets us to the semis. Then you break down the semifinals. Uh, Bradley, Indiana State could be a real uh, you know, slugfest offensively. Uh, one thing that people don't talk about enough is Bradley's got a real top-notch D of late. And I think that's enough to get the Braves to the championship game. Um, and Brian Wardle's won this event twice as a head coach. Uh, I think that's a really important fact uh, because I don't think there's another coach in the entire league that's won it since Loyola left the league. Um, and, you know, De uh, DeVries over at Drake, he's got to the championship twice and fell short. Uh, so that's a storyline to keep in mind as well. You get to the second semifinal with Drake and SIU. Um, I, I think... Uh, you know, I, I think Drake really manhandled SIU twice, so it's tough for me to pick SIU to beat him. Um, so as long as Drake gets there and it's not Valpo, I got to go with Drake. And that gets us back to another Drake-Bradley showdown, and it's a rematch of the 2020 title game that ended up not uh, getting a team to the tournament, but Bradley won that game, and then we had coronavirus a couple days later. Um, this will be revenge time for a guy like Roman Penn and DJ Wilkins, who both started that day. And they're still at Drake. Um, so I'm going with the revenge factor in the title, Drake over Bradley. Um, it'll be a heck of a game. It's going to be an amazing tournament. Uh, even on Thursday, there'll be four great games. Um, you just can't miss it. It's, it's one of the best. Man, take a sip of water. Take a breath. That was awesome, man. This is my favorite. I think, you know, I, I want to get your quick take, and then I'll go into SIU. Is this your favorite conference tournament, at least for week one? Just me being in the Midwest, I love it. Oh, for week one, hundred percent, no question. I, like, not even, not even an argument. Uh, I think, I think the top two in the country are very clear to me. It's the Big East tournament and it's Arch Madness. I don't think any of the other thirty come close. Even though a lot of them are great, um, those two are just different. And the the atmosphere and everything that goes along with that tournament on both ends is is a whole different level, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. And you mentioned a couple of things. A lot of great insight, as always. Bradley, Brian Wardle, I, I had a bet on Bradley. I think I did a money line rollover on the Braves, but so I had a decent amount riding on Bradley to beat Northern Iowa. I think it was in the 2019 MVC title game, and they overcame an 18-point second-half deficit, one of the best comebacks I've seen, especially from a betting standpoint. Betters always say they remember the losses more so than the wins, but I remember that win vividly because that was a heck of a comeback. But you also mentioned Bradley against Illinois State potentially in the first round. And one important note for those second round games, so the quarterfinals on Friday, usually the first round games in Arch Madness tip off at night. But a lot of these games, especially Illinois State, let's say the, let's say the Redbirds get to the quarterfinals, that Thursday game tips off on, I think, Thursday at noon. So they're going to have a full 24 hours to prep for the first round matchup or the second round matchup, I should say, in the quarterfinals against Bradley versus what it's been like in the past. So you mentioned that in terms of not only dissecting matchups, but dissecting rest time and all that. Definitely important to note. Yeah. But one, the team that I mentioned, and, and you said you like SIU, I'm completely with you on the fact that I think Valpo can give Drake some fits, especially when you go back to those first two matchups, I know Valpo didn't pull off the upset, but like you said, they're uh, playing pretty good ball of late. So the team I'm looking at, like I already prefaced, is SIU. You know, you said Bradley has the only coach to win a recent Arch Madness championship. Mullins was on those Loyola Chicago staffs. Yeah. So yep. one of the best defensive coaches to me, not only in Arch Madness and across college basketball, really. So that's kind of, I, I love him from a prep standpoint too, not having rest yep. in between and coaches not being able to dissect his defensive game plan because of what he throws at you, throwing a, a ton of ball pressure. SIU generates the highest opponent's turnover rate 
in Missouri Valley Conference play. Now, the question is, because we saw this come into play last year when SIU took on Drake in that second round matchup. So in the quarterfinals, SIU shot like crap pretty much in that game. So this team relies on the three-point line pretty much more so than anyone in conference play. Lance Jones is going to be the key there because he's shooting around 27, 28%, but I think around 40% of his shots are, or actually it might be up to 60% of his shots from uh, just overall are from deep. So his efficiency and obviously the rest of those guys, Xavier Johnson for SIU has a pretty good three-point efficiency. The other Xavier Johnson in college basketball, not Indiana Xavier Johnson. So, if SIU could face a team like Valpo in the semifinal, if Valpo could upset Drake, that's why I'm very much more intrigued about SIU just because yeah. of the path and from a, a price standpoint rather than rolling along the money line. So money line rollover. And then SIU, Bradley. Bradley did get the best of SIU in both of their meetings, but it took a four-point play in their last matchup to get the job done. SIU was... Pretty much gonna, I don't want to say pretty much, but they were up by two with about 20, 30 seconds left in that game. So, very high on these Salukis. I'll have a full write up of the Missouri Valley Conference tournament at thelines.com. But, Rocco, any closing thoughts on the MBC or my SIU takes before we get to the SOCON here, really quick? I, I like them. I think at many points of the year, I would have had SIU uh, and I, in, in all my preseason work as well. Uh, all my preseason work is designed to have a regular season championship prediction and a conference tournament championship prediction uh, because it is two different seasons. I had Drake as my regular season champion preseason. I had SIU winning the event for a lot of the same reasons you said. I, you know, I'm a defense first oriented thinker and I see defense win a lot of these types of tournaments. Um, and you know, to see Bradley outperforming SIU had to make me shift gears a little bit. And then of course, looking at those two head-to-head matchups with Drake where it just got um, – actually, SIU did beat them by four at home in a very low-scoring game, 53-49. Uh, but getting them, getting blown out more recently and SIU maybe not performing as well down the stretch, um, you know, having to really uh, inch one out at UIC in the final uh, on the final day in the last minute just gave me some hesitation on the Salukis. But overall, I, I definitely agree with your uh, sentiment. And you know how it is when you get to St. Louis – you got a you know a clean slate. You start fresh, baby. So you know a lot of things uh, can change between now and then. Yeah, and you mentioned that low-scoring game between SIU and Drake. Not only are unders a thing to pay attention to in this arch madness, but if SIU can play at their pace, because they really want to slow it down. Yes. Bottom thirty, yeah. bottom thirty-five in, in tempo across college basketball. So that's the way Mullins wants to play, and I think SIU. We don't have the odds yet, so haven't pulled the trigger, but very curious to see what SIU opens up at. Rocco, I want to get your take quickly because I know you're taking off here in a little bit. (laughs) Very understandable, man. Uh, Very gracious with your time here on the Outside Shots podcast. SoCon tournament tips off on Friday, March 3rd. DraftKings odds as of this recording on Monday. Furman the favorite, plus 120. UNC Greensboro, intriguing number three seed in the conference at plus 250 ahead of the number two seed, Samford, plus 400, then Chattanooga, Wofford, and so on and so forth. So are you taking one of the favorites to win the SOCON, or are you looking at maybe one of the long shots? Yeah, I think one of the intriguing uh, teams here is East Tennessee State. Uh, because 20 to 1, by I, the way. I think they yeah, I mean, that, that's a little high, I would imagine. Um, East Tennessee State's a team playing a little bit better here down the stretch, getting a little bit more confidence in them. They actually just beat UNCG, uh, and I think was big for their confidence uh, in a one-point win. And uh, they come in as the five seed. Um, Western Carolina is kind of all over the place. It's impressive that they got the four. Uh, and I get that that uh, you know Western had their way with the, with the Bucks, uh during the regular season, but those games happened a little bit earlier in league play, and I think it's revenge time, and I think ETSU does get to the semis. Uh, the big story, as we all know, is Furman losing last year in the championship game on a, uh, you know, uh, David John Baptiste's long insane. 35-foot, yeah, insane buzzer beater. Uh, your heart breaks for Furman that year. They've been so close so many times under Bob Ritchie, still have not gotten there. So the monkey is turned into a gorilla, uh, and that's on the back coming into Asheville uh, for the Paladins. Um, so that'll be their first real test, I think. I don't think they have any issue with Mercer, who I expect to beat the Citadel in the 8-9 game. Uh, but then I think 
Furman ETSU could get pretty interesting because they just recently played, I think, a tight game. Um, and ETSU has nothing to lose. So see how that plays out. And then on the other side of the bracket, I do think we end up with the two and the three, Sanford and UNCG. And that's a situation where Sanford swept the Spartans, uh, including a 12-point win just two weeks ago. Um, but I think, you know, I'm going back to defense here. UNCG has the best defense in the SOCON. And, you know, I think it could really frustrate the things that Bucky Ball likes to do. And maybe maybe the Spartans haven't shown them all their different uh, combinations of of presses and, and zones. So um, I got I just going with more of a feeling here that Greensboro gets to the championship. Uh, and I will stick with Furman. I don't have the guts to take ETSU, but it's a good long shot. Um, and then in the championship, uh, I think I think it's a it's a matchup between two two teams that split the regular season series. So again, this could go either way. Uh, I think the I think the fuel. This is where if Furman just gets to that game. I think the fuel from last year, it's yeah. time to exercise exercise those demons. I think the time for Furman to get knocked off, if they're going to get knocked off, is that semifinal round. Um, so um, that's that's kind of my overriding theme on that, just after thinking through it in my head for a while. Uh, and I think Furman gets it done against a really tough uh, UNCG team. I'm with you. No, I, I think the thinking, the forward thinking, I guess, in a sense, with Furman after losing in the SoCon title game last year and you have Bothwell, Slauson. I like UNC Greensboro for sure, but that's a team, if Furman gets in, I would say it's Furman or nothing here, Furman or pass, even at, you're getting plus money. So granted it is, it's not like you're you're paying juice or anything on Furman to win the conference title. I think Chattanooga had a little bit of a better price tag last season at plus money, but still plus 120. And that's a team that can make a lot of noise playing five out. I, I don't want to necessarily say they can make a Sweet 16 because, as we know, a lot of tournament runs, whether it's conference or in the dance, are predicated around matchups. But this is a team the Paladins can can definitely make a tournament, a, a March Madness run because of their scoring and their ability to space the floor now. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at all the Power 5 teams they've beaten in the last three years. It's the same guys. It's the same system. Uh, you know, they remind me I – do, I was just in Toledo, Ohio last week, and they remind me a lot of Toledo on how they just attack, attack, attack. And they can really overwhelm a, a power conference team. They've done it plenty of times in the past. And so, yeah, I mean, man. And, and just think about, you know, I, I love the human element, Eli. Think about the human element if Furman finally gets this SOCON title out of their way, and then they can just go play ball in the NCAA. They will just have so much fun with that, I think. that's That makes them even more dangerous uh, in that setting. Be sure to do our guy Rocco Miller a, not necessarily a favor, just how about a, a kind gesture? Check out thebracketeer.org. One of the best college basketball analysts around. I think this was a phenomenal breakdown by you looking at these four conference tournaments, man. And I know you're taking off here in a bit to head over to the A-Sun tournament. So I'll let you go here in a sec. But thelines.com has given away a $25 Amazon gift card in our daily college hoops pick'em contest. For more details, head over to play.thelines.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the Lions podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, and follow Rocco Miller, of course, on Twitter at RoccoMiller8. For Rocco and myself, Eli Herskovich, thanks for checking out this conference tournament preview episode of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. So long, everybody. 